Hello, everybody. Welcome back uh, to the Keep It Simple podcast. Today we're in for a treat, episode 14. Uh, my very dear friend, uh, Travis Smith, has agreed to come on. Travis, um, he and I know one another through school. We're on this uh, learning journey together. But um, like many of you who follow along and listen, it um, almost instantaneously was this kind of take one to know one kindred spirits you kind of know your people and um, uh, Travis and I connected in that way um, from the beginning uh, we've only really been together in person two different times um, in different settings but um, have emailed and text back and forth very consistently and uh, uh, Travis and his wife Allison uh, live in Rutherfordton North Carolina uh, but um, the church that he serves is in Asheville and so uh, I know a lot of you um, have connections uh, with North Carolina and the Asheville area so you'll be familiar with that but um, yeah without further ado uh, Travis welcome to the podcast and thank you for making time to come on man thank you Ben I mean I'm happy to be here so um, just kind of a uh, snapshot if you don't mind uh who you are kind of it's obvious that you're in ministry but um kind of who you are where you are what you're up to just kind of familiar to familiarize our folks with you yeah absolutely so i've been in ministry for um it's 20 something years i started when i I pastored my first church when i was 20 years old wow and uh and and i often i joked i I grew up in the baptist tradition and and uh and lived out that calling in the baptist church for many years before um joining the methodist church but one of the things i would joke with my congregation is like good thing we aren't catholic i can't buy communion wine uh because i was 20 (laughs) yeah (laughs) so uh that's been my journey i mean i started when i was 20 years old i'm in my mid-40s now and um, began my work in the Baptist tradition. That, that again, is where I, I had my, mm-hmm. my grounding as a young man and a young, young adult. Uh, went to a, a Baptist college, then to a Baptist seminary, mm-hmm. and then pastored in Baptist churches for many years. Uh, but currently, I'm pastoring in the Methodist Church, but one of the things that I really have a passion for right now is um, I work on two different fronts. I'm a bivocational minister. Rich, sometimes I say tri-vocational yeah. because I also teach for a university on a very adjunct level. Oh, wow. So, I didn't know so that, man. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some. Sometimes I do teach courses for a local university, uh, so I, I do that on the side as well. But my main two things that I do that take up most of my time mm-hmm. is I'm an executive director for a nonprofit. That That's my 40-hour-a-week paid job. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I'm, I work part-time with a traditional church in Asheville, United Methodist Church in Asheville. Mm-hmm. And then I also love to do fresh expressions. That's one of my passions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you've already talked about that on here already, yeah. uh, but that's definitely one of the areas where I spend a good chunk of any other time that I have mm-hmm. trying to invest in, in uh, cultivating those communities and, and work in them awesome and uh yeah. for for a deeper dive on fresh expressions if you haven't go back and catch episode luke uh edwards was on a few weeks ago luke is a friend of ours we're all kind of in the same learning environment together and growing together and like like you i mean luke is one one mm-hmm. of us it's 
one of those yes. take one to know one kind of things like we were talking about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so uh, the work that we're doing together is this fresh expressions and church renewal. And it's, you know, how do we how do we make a life of faith or or, or church available to the un church right and so um so much of that work um and what i really would like to spend a a good bit of time here talking about um what's fascinating to me about you is your work with um mental health and specifically with loneliness um and so i think that'd be a great place to start um kind of why are you drawn to that at what point did you start that research and work because it was long before we ended up at united i think am i right in that Mm -hmm. um yeah you're right and so let's let's just kind of talk through that a little in, in your story in that yeah, so I have to go back in my story to kind of go to that place of how all this intersects for me and the work that I do on loneliness. So for me, all that began, uh, I was pastoring a church. Um, I was also a full-time chaplain with hospice uh, at that time. I worked in hospice work for, for almost 13 years. And um, by that point, I was ready to transition out of the church ministry for a while and kind of focus on my chaplaincy work in hospice more. Um, so so I left the church that I was serving by vocationally, um, left there and was focusing on my work in chaplaincy. And during that time, I mean, it was a long time coming, but long story short, I, I endured separation and a divorce. Okay. And during that separation and divorce, I, I all of a sudden found myself for the first time not working in the church not being married um yeah so all these all of a sudden the entire structures that my life had been built around were not Mm -hmm. there anymore uh i had been attending a church but but hadn't fully got integrated in there because i was just trying all this happened within about two months of me leaving the full-time or excuse me the bivocational church that i was serving wow so um I was faced with that crisis all of a sudden that all that I have ever really known and connected with wasn't there in terms of being connected to a community, being connected to people. Uh, so I began to feel this significant isolation, this significant loneliness in my own life. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I'm just going to be honest. I mean, this is the place to be honest, right? Sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so one of the things that I found is that uh, in the tradition I was serving in, now that I was separated and, and enduring the divorce that I was, um, it was almost like it was contagious. They were afraid they might catch it. So yeah, yeah. The, the, the friends that I used to be connected with, they were gone. Um, they they weren't necessarily as, as there as closely as they had been. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm taking any swings toward them. I think they sure. were trying to figure out the best way forward for themselves, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... So all of a sudden, the things that I had known were gone. My loneliness and isolation were increased, and, and I was feeling a lot of angst about that. Mm-hmm. And one of the places that I found connection, quite honestly, was because no one knew who I was, was at a local pub. Yeah. Um, I would drive myself over there in the afternoons after I got off work and, um, you know, really wouldn't drink that much, maybe have one beer but I, or more, but I would just talk. I would, that became my community because mm-hmm. uh, these individuals that, that I connected with there, they didn't know my past. They didn't know who I had been or what I had done. Mm-hmm. All they knew is um, I was a really good listener and they enjoyed talking to me. Yeah. So uh, what, what happened is my ministry began to develop there. 
and that wow. that's where uh, the work that I felt connected to and called to began to really develop. And I started doing a fresh expression long before I knew it was fresh expression. I didn't have the terminology for that. Um, But so that's where I noticed like, okay, if I'm going through this loneliness and isolation, if I'm enduring this in my life because of this life event that happened, Mm -hmm. how many more people are out there dealing with something very similar? Maybe that maybe they didn't have a big life event, but they've just chronically dealt with this loneliness and feeling of disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew by my experience that the third places that people gather, um, pubs, parks, wherever mm-hmm. we want to put in the blank there, um, they're there already. And a lot of them are there because they want a connection. Mm-hmm. They want something that they can't find at home alone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're there to be a part of something bigger than themselves even Uh, so that was my story I mean I began to realize that so a long time ago loneliness and isolation was a very personal experience for me which then led out to okay this this is work God has called me to Hmm. Um, I I would never wish anyone to have to endure their marriage coming to an end sure but I also believe that God doesn't waste things Uh, and this happened in my life and I can take this now, God can take this, and use it to help others. Mm-hmm. And that that's where my first passion for the work that I now do, mm-hmm. many, many years later, mm-hmm. around loneliness and isolation first found its seed. Wow. So there's a there's a tie there. So my friend Gabe, uh, Gabe Barrett, I, I don't remember, I think he's like episode four maybe, or um, Gabe, um, incredible dude, played football at Auburn University. Um, I met Gabe... Um, in summer missions going under bridges in in atlanta and uh into uh, some of the most forgotten uh, places uh, in the city and and uh, but gabe's story um you know he was working he was doing mission work hosted or through this kind of very uh, fluent church and gabe went through a divorce mm-hmm. and um his experience sounds a lot like yours um, in that wrestling through you know I, I don't know because I've never been through divorce but um, I don't know that the church always gets that right oh, no. um, I have been in churches where um, I say that I've been in a church where um, as I come in as a new pastor and I look through who used to be in the church and who is not now and start touching base and then I'm told, well, you know, ever how many years ago I went through a divorce and this was my experience. And so then to try to, to, try to encourage or invite people back into the fellowship on the backside of that so so your experience what does it say about the church when you feel better connected at the pub than you do especially a person that's a pastor right so a person that's been in ministry since they're 20 that goes Mm -hmm. through crisis um what does it say about the North American church when you find authentic community easier at a pub than you do in the church? Not a knock against your church or wherever you were, but just kind of no. as a blanket statement. What does that say about the church? 
I think it says, for me, it says what I know to be true from what I've seen elsewhere, too, not only in the churches I've served, but other churches, is that we as the North American church are not doing a very good job at connecting with people at the big moments of their life. Yeah. So so these big moments, and I call them crisis moments, because crisis, we use that word as a bad word, but really crisis is any event or change that affects our life. Some could be good, some could be bad. Mm-hmm. So we as the church don't do well with that, though. We don't do well with meeting people at some of the biggest points of uh, change in their life, mm-hmm. whether that be, uh, matter of fact, whether that be a new marriage, whether that be a divorce, whether that be an emptiness, whether that be the death of a parent or yeah. death of a loved one. The church struggles beyond just providing some food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Struggles really <laughs> to connect at that place yeah. and have a word of authenticity to the to the wounded part of the soul yeah. or fearful part of the soul, whatever yeah. it is in that moment. And that's what I found in the pub though, was that, that individuals there, man, the the expectation for language was gone. They didn't feel yeah. like you had to talk a certain yeah. way yeah, yeah. Or, or uphold a certain brand. Man, it was just it was just authentic conversation around oh, this stinks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah things can stink in life. Oh yeah, yeah. Embrace the suck. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so had you done hospice work before this, or did this lead you into hospice work? No, I had been doing hospice work before this. Okay. So, um, I had been. So, yes, I started hospice work around 2006. Okay. Uh, and um, I went through separation divorce between 2010 and 2011 okay uh but so at that point i had been doing this for quite some time before i went through this experience Mm -hmm. so so then how because divorce right is like a death Mm, yeah um how were how was your um experience and the equipping that you received in hospice work were you able to minister to you or not yeah, you know, that's the funny thing is that it's one thing to know something cognitively, yeah. but it's another thing to be able to experience, be experiential with it yeah. in your soul yeah, and heart. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had all the language around grief, loss, yes. shift, change. Like, I had all that language, but it was hard sometimes to put that into practice for myself. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you were living mm-hmm. it, right? So you didn't have the ghetto yeah. pass yet. It's kind of like... Uh, yeah. um, you know, you could go to a rodeo and try to minister to a bunch of rodeo cowboys, and they may or may not listen to you just being polite. Right. But you've never, you don't, you've never been there. You never lived it. You've not, you're right. not one of them. And um, mm-hmm. I think oftentimes as leaders, whether it be in the church or um, just in our communities, we go uh, and we do have this head knowledge, but we don't mm-hmm. have that heart experience. And once you have lived that, right? Once you've lived through that, then you got the ghetto pass. Then you have permission to speak into some of those wounds in a way that I do not. Like it, uh, it would be the equivalent of me trying um, to step in and, and use the Christianese with a, a person or a, a, or a couple uh, that was going through that. It's, it's counterfeit. It's not authentic. Um, so, yeah, from that crisis uh, comes comes uh you know what brennan manning calls the wounded healers um so is how far out is it that you were doing um hospice work you went through this 
death, if you will. Um, and then on the other side of that, where you're able to take that experience and then the head knowledge, I imagine mm-hmm. you became a, a juggernaut for loving people that were in that type of, of crisis. Yeah, I mean, it really did change the way I do ministry. It changed the way I do life. Mm-hmm. Um, it changed the way I treat myself, even. Amen, man. Um, it, it, had, it really impacted all of that. And that was one of the, the cool things about what began to develop in my connections in the bar and the pub is that um, many individuals who were sitting there had been through similar disappointments or, or maybe even something even far more catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And um, being in the pain and having the pain myself mm-hmm. and sitting with them in their pain, you said it right. There becomes this 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 rite of passage now that we don't understand exactly each other, but we do understand what pain feels like and this kind of pain feels mm-hmm. like. Uh, and, and that acknowledgement with each other deepened the authenticity even further mm-hmm. than what I already found there. Because one of the coolest things, you know, is, is you're in there and you're making connections in these places that people don't know you. Um, you, you know, this this was a time where, you know, it was almost unheard of that you would have church in a bar or, or, or have a yeah. you know, spiritual conversations in a, in a bar, though they were happening long before sure. any of us ever started doing <laughs> yeah. anything like this. Um, one of the things that inevitably would happen is someone would say, whoa, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're an ordained minister. And they would just have this kind of aha moment of, wow, it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. Life can happen. Mm -hmm. You're not immune to the troubles Mm -hmm. of this world just because you serve God, Mm -hmm. Uh, just because you have some kind of uh, three letters before your name, Reverend. I mean, Rev, it's it's, it's not, uh, it doesn't, doesn't take you out of the reality of pain and experience and really what it did for me is it gave me a deeper credibility because all of a sudden these folks who many of them who had been heard in church or ostracized by church mm-hmm. um, felt deeply wounded mm-hmm. by the North American version of what we had as church mm-hmm. that they began to trust again somebody who was from that tradition mm-hmm. And because I now was amongst the pain, I was also someone who'd experienced it in that way and was being often, I was being vulnerable and, and authentic with them as mm-hmm. well. And um, that, that evening of, I hate to say playing field, it's not a playing field, sure. but the sense that somehow we, you know, I wasn't coming in as one like sometimes we do in church of, you know, I have the truth, I have this gospel, I'm going to lay this down, you guys listen. Uh, It wasn't like that at all. It was very, very much reciprocal in that we were caring for each other, being true community. And um, that really increased their respect for even someone of the Christian Mm -hmm. faith. Yeah, that's that equal footing. Um, And the beautiful thing about that part of your story is you didn't go in to create a new community of faith. You went in to have a beer and be a person that nobody really... I mean, there was no agenda, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not as if you sat in a strategic planning meeting with your board of directors or or elders and deacons and said, okay, we need to really forge into missions, and so let's go spend time at the local pub. It was you were hurting and looking for somewhere to exist. Um, yeah, I was looking for somewhere to hide, honestly. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I was looking for somewhere to slither into and just escape anybody really knowing who I was, yeah. what I was going through. And yeah. it's just like God to then 
already be there. Yeah. <laughs> and be setting up this scene where, like, you know, uh, you, you thought you were coming here to hide, but actually you've come to where you're going to be seen. Yeah. Maybe seen more authentically than you've ever been seen. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So from that season of your life, then there was this seed planted to really begin to focus on and research and learn about mm-hmm. uh, mental health, but more specifically loneliness. Is that fair? Right. Yeah, that is definitely fair. And it led to me actually creating, putting a name to uh, what we were doing in the bar that actually may have started with me, but then evolved into something much more structured and formal after that. Which, what, what is that? That's Sacred Ale. It's still happening to this day. It's nine years old. Um, it was happening long before that, but but it's been named for nine years uh, in that we, we meet in a local pub or we meet somewhere where people can drink if they choose, uh, not if they choose, but we talk sure. about life, love, doubt, faith, all those spiritual things that are part of who we are. And um, we've been doing that for nine years, and that really all developed out of my own experience. Your and belief. Yeah. yeah, my own brokenness and the belief that some of us feel safer outside of the stained glass and brick and steeples. Yeah. Some of us have had some experiences where we just feel safer in different environments. And because we feel safer in those third spaces or environments, then we let down some of the some of the anger, maybe some of the uh, resentment, mm-hmm. some of those things that can be hard to have communication with in traditional church settings sure. because of people's baggage and, and our baggage too. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that gets let down in these spaces that aren't connected to that. And wow. that's what I found to be true is these individuals are still needing to connect in community. They're very lonely and isolated. But finding that place where you could express doubt, express faith, express all these things in a safe environment mm-hmm. really began to, to uh, deepen you know, the work that we were doing and, and added to it. And so out of that, you're exactly right. I mean, that, that's the seed of then which eventually led to later me uh, starting a mental health agency, um, founding that, getting it up and going and providing mental health care to our community regardless of their ability to pay and bringing in the people that can do that. And wow. and I can speak more about this in a moment, but COVID and the, the the kind of what we saw after COVID really led to some escalation of what we do around loneliness as well. Okay. So back to Sacred Ale. Sacred Ale yeah. uh, is nine years old. So mm. so what does that look like? What does a regular session uh, like real talk, what does a regular mm-hmm. session of Sacred Ale look like? What your weekly meeting? Yeah, you, you know what's so yeah, it's 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 changed a little bit in frequency, um, okay. but uh, at one time we were weekly. We don't do that now. Okay. Um, we 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 paused for um for a few moments during COVID, like we all did, um, but we started back. So typically, a meeting is going to look like this. Um, first, we're gonna we kind of gather together. There's a start time, at 7 p.m. Um, Hardly does everybody get there at seven. Uh, (laughs) My joke in Sacred Ale is like we have the talk, but then we have to go back and have it again because somebody else came in. Yes, yes. (laughs) So we end up kind of keep rolling this conversation which comes rolling as people come in. So typically, though, most people are there. They kind of drift in and get settled by, you know, 7.15, 7.30-ish. And then we have a topic. So to give you an example, the last one I just finished up, 
uh, last Tuesday was um, we had a conversation around research that I've been reading about how people from the ages of 13 to 26 are expressing their spirituality. So I read this research briefly and I said, how do you identify with it? How do you not identify with it? Mm. Uh, which then opened the door up for them to talk about ways they express their spirituality mm-hmm. and what it looks like for them. Which then my follow-up conversations with them during the meeting are, okay, when's the last time you had a sacred moment? Mm-hmm. And what was that? Mm-hmm. What did it look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I may start with something that's rather big and broad mm-hmm. because it's safe. And then as the conversation gets going, I usually try to pull it in pretty tight to what's personal for mm-hmm. the individual. Mm-hmm. So that's a typical that's a typical wow. conversation. Are you together now, usually an hour, or are you more or less? Or? Typically, typically we, we set it for about an hour and fifteen minutes. But we, you know, I've, I've many times at that time said, "Hey, officially, I know some of you need to go head out, but I'm still here t- listening. We'll talk." I mean, we we've had some conversations go two two and a half hours, but wow. but I always stop it and, and give that pass at the time we said we're going to end. Awesome. So nobody fe- nobody feels like they're obligated to to stay here. And so do, um, the, do the bar owners and managers, are they good with that? Or was there any concern on the front end about you maybe yeah. running off, you know, customers? Oh, yeah. how, how was yeah, it? How, yeah. did, how did you navigate all that? Yeah, so what I went to, um, well, we started in the pub that I used to go to mm-hmm. during my darkest hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so they knew me, number one. They, they know who I am. They, they understood more about me than just hey this kid's trying to come in here and start a church yeah <laughs> so they knew that wasn't the yeah, goal yeah but what what i did is i went to them and i said hey i said when is your slowest night okay and they said tuesdays tuesdays are our slowest nights i said well let me ask this if, if i could potentially draw in 10 to 15 people that most likely are, are probably going to buy something here would you be open to letting me have a small space over here together and they're like, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I was forthright. I said, this is what it's going to be about. Yeah. It's going to be about doubt. It's going to be about faith. It's, it's going to be a very open conversation, not judgmental. We don't have an agenda other than to love people and to awesome. invite invite them into conversation. So when I presented it that way, they were great. I mean, wow. And they were like, yeah, that, that would be fantastic. So, um, uh, so... The goal is not then to get those 12, 15, 20 people into church. No. Yeah. That, I believe I believe I believe what we're doing is church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's they're, what they're already there. That's what Luke and I spent a lot of our conversation mm-hmm. and I got a lot of feedback um, from encouraging feedback from my conversation with Luke. Uh, people saying it's so it's so refreshing to hear leaders talk about loving people where they are with no mm-hmm. strings attached, like no agenda, no stepping stones, like this is mm-hmm. community. This isn't a step yeah. to get you into what we believe is community, like this is right. community. Yeah, it's a place to belong, yeah. and, and that, that that's the goal. And um, I, I'll tell you now, even today, um, you know, nine years later, uh, some of the people who were there on day one are still there. Is that right? Um, okay. Yeah, some, some of the people are still there, and they will tell you, this is this is church for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. Yeah. Um, on, on any given meeting, 
8% of the people there are not connected to a traditional church. Okay. So I'm sure you got some really great stories. So we're storytellers, right? That's what we do. <laughs> um, what are what are maybe just one or two, depending on what you got? Is what mm-hmm. are some of your favorite? Like a nine-year sample size is a pretty good sample size. I'm sure you've got some phenomenal stories. What are a couple of your favorites? Yeah. I think one that that ranks up to the top for me and. Um, this individual is still coming nine years later but it was so and and i'll I'll add so to couch the story i have to kind of tell you where she was what happened and where she is now Mm -hmm. so she began to come with her husband uh he and her both came to the meeting and i can never forget uh, the first meeting she was like i just need to be up front with you I don't, this church stuff, it's, it's bull. I don't believe in it. You know, I don't even, I don't even know that I believe in God. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. You know, so she, she was not, and she wasn't angry about it or mean, mm-hmm. but it was very clear that she, she had some resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, so what surprised me is she kept coming back and th- that always really shocked me. And she would say, you know, I, I just need to let you keep saying, I, I don't, I don't believe in all this. I, I don't even know that I believe in anything beyond myself mm-hmm. oh, that's okay you, you don't have to and I, I'll, I'll say her it's not her real name but we'll say her, her name's jennifer mm-hmm. so i was like jennifer that's fine you, you don't you don't have to you know this this being in this group is about belief so what happened though over over a period of time is that um we would have these conversations and all of a sudden she would speak and she would begin to tell us tell something in her life about how god did this okay and she started using uh, language about, and, and I even actually, I mean, we're a very honest group. I was like, you know, Jennifer, it's kind of funny to me. You said you don't believe any of this, but all of a sudden you're sharing a story about how you saw maybe God working. And she was like, yeah, I think I'm just, a, I was afraid to call it by name. Wow. And that trust that we built over that period of time helped her begin to name the spiritual parts of her experience and be open to this idea that there is something beyond her that loves her deeply mm. as a creator and who loves her and cares for her. And this all led to where I want to really go at the end of the story, which is she, um, we had been going, I guess, about four four years at this point. She calls me one day and she's like, I need to let you know me and my husband are splitting up. Oh, no. We're, we're going to go, we're going to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, before we do... I want to just talk to you. I was like, sure. So whether she realized it or not, she was asking for a pastoral visit. And that's what I began to do for both him and her is have this pastoral conversation with them around, you know, what they're feeling, what they're enduring. I helped them find a marriage counselor to connect with. And they're still married to this amen, day and amen. still attending yeah. to this day. And one of the things she will tell you, she, she she's one of the first people at Sacred Hill that says, had it not been for this group, had it not been for Travis the preacher, I wouldn't be married today. Our marriage wouldn't wow. have survived. So yeah. that's powerful for me. Man. Yeah, like that. Four years. So that goes into this this marathon mindset, right? And mm-hmm. so relationships are 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 messy. They're rough. Um, mm-hmm. Relationships in ministry, more often than not, are even messier. And yeah. but so oftentimes people come into relationships with a sprint approach, a sprint mindset, oh, yeah. and the 
I mean, I guess everybody's different. This is a pretty concrete statement, but God's in the marathon. Like, in, in, in yeah. the majority of the relationships that I'm in, invested in deeply, there are seasons where you get it right, seasons where you get it wrong, and seasons where you get it right again, but there's this elongated marathon of authenticity and transparency and mm-hmm. um you know that that's a that for her to be there four years um before she begins to use some of this language and then yeah. nine years later for the two of them to still be showing up the beer must be really good mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe that's what's holding yeah. them there. Uh, it, it's really, it's a, it's it's really uh, amazing what God does in these contexts, is there? Yeah. And and that's how I see it. I see it as God's yeah. work, and I, I see God working in people's lives. And I'll tell you briefly another story. Yeah. Uh, had had a young man attending African American man um, attending Sacred L attended months, and he never spoke a word. He never interacted. He would just sit there and he would listen. Um, slowly, after about four or five months, he began to talk about his experience of being a young black man in our community and kind of what he's seen and what he's dealt with. He began to share that. About a year into being a part of the group, he finally said, I need to, I need to tell you all something. He said, I never told anyone this in my life. He said, I've never felt safe in my current church context to say this I've never felt safe with a group of people to say this in my culture this this is this is hard to process and deal with he said but you know I'm I'm a homosexual black man mm-hmm. and he said I've never said that before out loud I never never said it out loud to wow. anyone but he chose our group he chose our group to enter that moment of tender conversation mm-hmm and vulnerability and um, the fact that he felt safe enough there to Mm -hmm. say that the fact that he felt that he could be vulnerable that we weren't going to attack him at that very moment Mm -hmm. um, man that speaks volumes to the trust that was built Mm -hmm. trust yeah 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 yeah. and God's in the trust building business yeah yeah that makes me think of that book the speed of trust character and competency you know um what is that, Richard Covey, whoever that guy is that wrote The Speed of Trust, but this, this, these two attributes, character and competency. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as, we, as our character is revealed and we prove ourselves competent in loving people and in um, confidentiality and all these other things, then trust, the mm-hmm. speed of trust is expedited. Um, mm-hmm. And the opposite is equally true. Um, as as um, negative characteristics are revealed or competency, lack of competency, then trust is eroded. So that um, so so from talk about Michael Beck from the ashes. So from these ashes of your deepest darkest wounds, a season of of um, kind of metamorphosis, then you you're equipped and you come into this place where you're doing ministry in an extremely non-traditional way and 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 those interactions and that those relationships are bearing fruit right so yeah, then yeah. 
So then is there a part in your life where you start into any of this tug of war of like, so should I still be, even be in the inherited church or should I still be a part of what we know to be traditional ministry? Or was that always, was there ever a tug of war in you where it was either or or was it always both and? That's a great question. There, there definitely was a point where I began to ask the question of, okay, is, is this the is this the field I'm called to harvest? Mm-hmm. Okay, is this is this where I need to spend my laboring um, all the time? Is outside the traditional setting. Mm-hmm. And one of the things um, I began to be very aware of after doing this for for quite some time was that no, we need both. There doesn't need to be just one. Yeah. There needs to be both. And yeah. both of these need to work in tandem. Amen, man. Um, the inherited church has a place in this new work. And part of that place is is loving, supporting, giving permission to people to go out and do these type things. Mm-hmm. And and uh, providing some sense of structure to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. You can go out and create a community of, of a lot of trust and um, a lot of love. And that's also how cults get started. Exactly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. So you you also you want to always balance that with okay, what what's guiding the work that we're doing? Mm-hmm. What anchors the work that we're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, what truths do we carry from from our our faith, mm-hmm. our doctrine, mm-hmm. into what we're doing? Mm-hmm. All those things matter. And the traditional church, the inherited church, plays a role in those yeah and it plays a major role in permission giving and helping financially support this work too mm-hmm. um fresh expressions you know in itself shouldn't really cost a lot to pull off but there are certain components of it that do need the organizational structure that's larger than one person sure yeah uh, to make happen i like the idea of the accountability i mean to have the to have the checks and balances and the accountability in there so you're not just a wing nut out on on some tangent you know is right is very very important and um so have and i know this is not the 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 why i know it's not the agenda have any of your sacred ale folks found their way to your local church um, and that's one of the interesting things about pastoring a church an hour away from where I do okay. Fresh Expressions so, work. So, yeah. so Sacred Ale is not in Asheville. It's not in Asheville. No, okay. it's in Rutherford. Okay. Yeah, so so Sacred Ale developed long before I'm, I was at the current church I am now. Right, right, right. Um, in terms of serving as a, as a bivocational minister. Right. Sacred Ale has been around longer than that. Right. Now, so so it happens. Sacred Ale happens here where I live. Okay. Um, that that that's where it's based. Okay. Now, I've not been at the current ministerial location that I am now a, a long time. So we're talking about developing something similar there, doing some things there. Okay. But but right now this is still this community is still running here with support of the church in Asheville. I mean, okay. But and under it, but not um, not directly in the same city. Okay. But I do want to say it has had some individuals who found trust again in Christian faith and then wanted to reconnect with the inherited church. Wow. Um, that's not been the majority, sure. but but it's definitely been some. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Michael Beck calls uh, those folks bridge backs, mm-hmm. those who, who connect in these fresh expression communities and then find their way back to an inherited church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's definitely been that. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget one of my greatest uh, feelings of elation 
was that I got a message one day from somebody who had been attending Sacred Ale, and they said, hey, just want to let you know, this past Sunday I went to Blank and Blank Church, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you for giving me the idea that church could be healthy and whole. Oh, wow. And that, Yeah, and that I could be safe there again. Thank you. What a compliment, so, man. I, man, it made me feel so good mm-hmm. because... There were there were two feelings with that. One was elation that what we did made this lady feel safe enough to go back to church, mm-hmm. that all Christians weren't the same. Mm-hmm. What she experienced wasn't necessarily always what you're going to experience mm-hmm. with a Christian church or faith. Um, but then the other side of me thought, oh, man, I hope she doesn't get hurt again. Yeah. Like there's this sense of, hmm, okay. Protector, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the shepherd. Yeah. That's the pastoral heart there. Yeah. So that that answers my question. And so I was wondering how the people in your local church received the Sacred Ale folks. So like here in our context, um, several years ago, three years ago, we started a weekly lunch down at a hotel. So there's a hotel <laughs> a couple miles from the church. Um, it 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 has permanent residents uh, in it. Uh, you know that have that have resided there longer than a year. And um, so we started No Strings Attached, a, a weekly meal, a really good home-cooked good. meal, everybody. But um, we have seen people from there come to our local church, and I have been um, surprised, pleasantly surprised, and so encouraged by the way our people within our local church have embraced and accepted our people within our our. Um, you know, lunch ministry. Um, I, this is not being judgmental about our people. I would not have expected that. I wouldn't have expected them to be ugly at, at all. Sure. But I, sure. I would have expected there to be like some separation, and that has not mm-hmm. been the case at, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when people find yeah, their way God. to the church, our folks just mm-hmm. just envelop them. So. Um, that's why I was asking about if any of your Sacred Hill people had found their way to your local yeah. church. I, I just thought about something I wanted to mention. Uh, you you said a few minutes ago, have I ever stopped and thought, hey, should I just be into this 100% yes. and yes. just kind of step away from the traditional yeah. inherited church? It, what was really funny is our last Sacred Hill, um, a, a gentleman there asked me, he said, he said so, so why do you keep doing this? Like, what are you getting at? What's what's the catch? Yeah, yeah. He said, so so what, you know, what what is this feeding in you? What is this feeding in you? Um, and to which I said, I said, uh, I called his name and I said, what it's feeding in me is that the reason I keep doing this is I believe with all my heart that there is power in communal connection and doing life together. Yeah. And whether you want to call that meeting at such First United Methodist Church at 11 a.m. on Sunday, or whether you call that meeting in this pub on a Tuesday night at 7 p.m., there's power in doing life together. And I believe that when we do life together, God is there and God is at work. And um, I said, so that's what I'm getting out of this. I'm getting I'm getting fed in terms of being in community with you. Wow. So that kind of goes back to what, my thought was on that I was like okay he's asking me why do I keep yeah. doing this uh, but but it goes back to that same answer it's 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 and it goes back to loneliness and isolation I find connection and community in both places mm-hmm. 
7 o'clock on Tuesday night. I find it 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. And so that's a great segue, a great transition back to this to your work on loneliness because I don't want time to get away from us and not I don't want to rob our people from your work and that because it's fascinating to me just in the couple of conversations that we've had when we're together in person Um, so you had you had done this um, research and and was learning you were learning about isolation and loneliness and then and then the pandemic hits right and so on the back That's side right. of that was your work just amplified all the more. Let's kind of talk through that. It was. And, and one of the things that we saw, because I operate a full-time a nonprofit mental health clinic, and okay. what we began to see was the need and appointment request went out the roof. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about, uh, I mean, four or 500% increase in wow. terms of people asking for connection and, and, and what we were hearing in those private conversations and, and, and the therapists were hearing in those rooms was that um, I, I'm scared. I've, and so that th- one thing I want to say there, fear and um, fear feeds isolation and loneliness. They, wow. go, they go hand in hand. Um, s- some people might feel like, well, fear... And uh, let's take it from a from a 10,000 foot view of our society. A lot of people have said, well, oh, I guess with the polarization of our society, there must be less loneliness because people have found each other and they've kind of cocooned into their little subset. Mm-hmm. What we found with research is the complete opposite. The more polarized we are, we don't get more connected with people like us. We actually get more withdrawn and isolated. Wow. But it's because of the fear. It's because of the fear that feeds this loneliness and isolation and this pulling back into our own cocoon instead of being with other people. And that's what we began to hear over and over uh, in in the private sessions. We saw it just in terms of the number of people that were requesting appointments. I mean, the pandemic, this is the best way I can explain it. You know, if, if you had something on the stove simmering, you had it on low, you know, you're already getting a little bubbles in there. Man, so that was already happening in our society. 2018, we know there was a loneliness report that came out then that said, okay, this is a problem. But what happened with the pandemic is it's like turning the flame up. Now it's boiling. Okay. So you had a problem that was simmering, and the pandemic literally turned the flames up under it, and now it's boiling over out of the pot. Hmm. And that that's what happened um, with many of us who are working in the mental health field. That's that's what we saw. And we were trying to deal with that carnage of it bowling over and, and trying mm-hmm. to help people find some sense of connection, find some sense of um, soothe their fears and work through that. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic just increased what was already happening. It just multiplied it. Which it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it does. So this is, but it doesn't make sense to me we supposedly through our phones and all of these mm-hmm. whatever the social stuff we are more connected now yeah. i mean you're in north carolina i'm in missouri and we're talking together yeah i like, mean like we're in the uh, same room that's what i'm saying yeah. i mean you might as well be sitting people who listen to this show consistently text me and say love the new format i feel like i'm sitting with you like we're catching up mm-hmm. um supposedly we are more connected now than we have ever been as a people Mm -hmm. but but loneliness and isolation 
is the new pandemic. Like it right. is. Oh, it is the it new is, one. It is the killer of people. So how do we reconcile mm-hmm. that? How can we be both the most connected people in the history of civilization and the most isolated and lonely I know you know the answer, but just walk us through that. Yeah. So, so what what we've learned is is the speed in which we connect, mm-hmm. and the ability in which we can connect quicker, faster, more visual, doesn't change the quality of the interaction. Oh gosh, that's that is good. So the quality of the interaction is really where we want to be, and and there are some places that have created an online community that have that are addressing loneliness and feeling connected. But for most of us, what we have on this really isn't quality. Most of it is actually increasing our our feeling of um, inadequacy. It's Mm -hmm. increasing our sense of frustration or loneliness, uh, anger, uh, Mm -hmm. fear. So it really, so here's the thing. The connectedness we have through these is not the problem. It's what we've done with it that's been the problem. Um, one of the things that I say, and I truly believe this, social media, AI technology, whatever we want to put in the blank, um, it only allows us to do what our heart is bent on doing faster. Say that again. Yeah. So, so technology, it only allows us to all to do quicker what our heart is already bent toward doing. Gosh, that's good, man. That's a that is a quote. Yeah. So if we if we have our heart bent toward division, if we have our heart bent toward um, anger, um, increasing paranoia, fear, it just allows us to do that stuff quicker. It and expedites. The, it expedites it. It makes it faster. Wow. Uh, those who have their heart bent toward reconciliation and love and kindness, it also allows that to happen as well. Wow. But yeah, unfortunately, that that seems to be happening less than the other. So what, what can be our blessing could also be our curse. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's like, like anything else, I guess, our giftings and graces and all those things, the way that we're hardwired can yeah. be our doing or our undoing. So, right. so, you know, we talk a lot about, I was in student ministry forever, um, and I used to talk often about how, you know, the scrolling and what we're doing is, so we're with us 24-7, right? And mm-hmm. we know how ordinary our lives are. And what we're doing is we are comparing our ordinary to everybody else's peak. So nobody, I mean, unless you're a weirdo like me, nobody's just going (laughs) to post the ordinary like, oh, just having a ho-hum day. You know what I mean? It's like you're getting like the highlights of everybody Mm -hmm. else's life um, Mm -hmm. or their drama, one of the two. so much to say about that but we'll leave that oh, on yeah. so you're you're getting one of those two things but what you're mm-hmm. doing is you're uh not so we subconsciously or consciously we're comparing our ordinary to everybody else's peak does yeah. that fuel no. isolation yeah. absolutely because okay. it creates more of an inadequacy in us if we're not aware that that's what's happening yeah um you know it, it's easy to think oh my gosh my life here in north carolina is just so ho-hum when i'm looking at ben who's surfing in hawaii today yeah it's like it's like no man th- you said it i'm getting your best yeah right yeah uh so as long as you know that you can kind of settle into it but there's so many of us it's how we subconsciously don't even think about it 
we're yeah. just like, wow, look at Ben's life. It's so much better than mine. This isn't yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in reality, to be human is to hurt. So whoever you're looking at, whatever you're scrolling through, they're hurting just as yeah. much as you are. Um, it and I would say surface. sometimes those who are needing that attention might be hurting worse. Oh, gosh, that's good, yeah. man. Yeah. So what is the nonprofit then that you started and running? What's mm-hmm. that called? It's called Blue Ridge Hope. Okay. And um, we we are uh, we're not affiliated with a church. We're, yeah. we're an independent nonprofit, but um, we offer mental health care to our our area, regardless of their ability to pay. We raise money, we uh, write grants to try to to meet that need. Because what we were seeing here, the particular county I live in, Rutherford County, mm-hmm. our poverty rate's nineteen percent. It's really high. Uh, wow. A lot of people hit that little area with Medicaid where they don't quite qualify for it, but they also don't have enough to do a private session. Because most private Private sessions of mental health are going to be somewhere between 110 to 160 dollars. Just that's the wow. average average rate for a private session without insurance. Wow. So we we look to work with therapists that connect with us that we can pay them, and these individuals get the care they need without carrying that financial burden. Wow. So then, do your clients go to those doctors' offices, or do the doctors come to your clinic and then the clients come to your clinic? Yeah, so so we we have our own therapists that are here with okay. us all the time. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yes. So so how we how we do that is we have a split model. If someone has insurance, we bill it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they don't, we try to work with them on a sliding scale to make it affordable for them, gotcha. and we compensate the difference. Mm-hmm. So so our model works that we we. Um, we make some money, yes, but then sure. other times we, we don't and we lose a lot. So we just try to balance that out through through grants and private fundraising wow. so that we're not always in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you had just a couple of, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but if you had just a couple of tips, a couple of your go-tos, if you're, if you're sitting down at Sacred Ale, you got mm-hmm. a guy that's been there, he's relatively new to the group, uh, some trust is established. He begins to confide in you these lonely, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as as communicators, as pastors, mm-hmm. um, we're we're application driven. I know I am. I, I don't want somebody just to tell me something. I want them to give me some some tools. Sure. Um, what are some of your go tos when it comes to pushing back against isolation and loneliness? What mm-hmm. are some of your most common tips or helpful hints for as far as application? if somebody's listening so first off I want to encourage them to find a place where they feel safe and they feel they can be vulnerable and other people are vulnerable okay so to me Sacred L can be one of those places so I want to I want to see them first get connected in a consistent community where you're you're having an authentic relationship with another person mm-hmm. we're, we're not talking about this bull where everything looks golden and everything's great yeah. Kind of like the Instagram society. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about let's have a real authentic conversation in a place where you can get connected. So I want to help them find that. So if they're not local and, and they're just kind of happening into our group for a couple of weeks and I know they're going to be leaving, then then I want to talk to them about finding something wherever they are. Okay. Um, that That's number one. Uh, number two is... I mean, I have a little bias toward this, but but if you're feeling a significant amount of isolation and loneliness, I would love to be able to get you connected with a good therapist who can talk you through some of that and, and walk you through some of that. So, again, mm-hmm. you're not feeling so alone in your loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to encourage them, let's get you connected with that if, if that's something you're dealing with. 
Gotcha. And um, what, what we know to be true about the loneliness research is when people are in authentic community mm-hmm. where they feel that there is what's the best word to use here when they feel there's a support system there Mm -hmm. that they can be vulnerable and they can let down their guards and lay down their fear the loneliness subsides now it may not always go away but it subsides so if it's a level 10 and it can come down to six or five Mm -hmm. um so being in a safe community is going to be key to anybody who is um, dealing with loneliness and isolation. Oh, man, that's good. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, so that, um, is there a, and this is just my ignorance, but I would think, maybe not, is there a gap between male and female? Is, is in your research, in your numbers, in your studies, uh, like, and what's, what's bringing this kind of line of thought is you were saying that, you know, finding a community to connect with, but then, but then counseling. So I'm a deep believer in counseling, right? So as a person who, who wrestled through and, and fought and, and debilitating anxiety, I mean, crippling anxiety for four years, it was therapy. Um, that the Lord used to kind of spring me out of a lot of that. Um, talking about wounded healers, you know, it kind of takes one to know one in that regard too. And so as other folks, specifically men, younger men, find their way to me counseling-wise, and they're dealing with anxiety and depression, when I try to suggest find a good counselor, like one that's worth their salt, and give mm-hmm. them your guts, like, like just let the walls down and give them your yeah. guts. There right. is this you can you can kind of see this feet this mm-hmm. force field that like goes up. You know, is that are you all experiencing that, or when you're with guys, is there a gap between male and female? There can be. Okay. Um, what what I'm seeing more than that is is, and I don't know how much time we have, but I would love to go into this we have brief explanation. You go ahead. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I saw in grief work years ago, I think, also applies to just how we process anything in life in general. Okay. So not just grief, but one of the things we thought years ago in grief, we thought that the only way to experience grief was to have this emotional, emotive experience. So we would tell people, well, if they're, they're not crying, hey, man, we, we want to get in there and dig in there and make you cry a little bit, get these feelings out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was Kenneth Doka started this fascinating research, and he went into this thinking that he was going to find a male pattern of grieving and a female kind of pattern of grieving, okay. a gender identity. Sure. Uh, so he went in thinking, okay, this is clearly where we're going to find the difference. So he went into this research, and what he found out was – there are some characteristics that might be more masculine or feminine, but overall, there are two main grieving patterns, and, and they defy gender in terms of being male or female. One is what we call intuitive grievers, okay. and one is called an instrumental griever. Okay. And the instrumental griever is the non-traditional griever, the one who typically needs to do something with their grief, means they need to live it out in some way and I'll explain that more in just a minute than, than just talking about it. Mm-hmm. The intuitive grievers, like I'm an intuitive griever, and I know that. Even though I'm a male, I need to talk it out. Okay. I have to process it verbally. I have to be emotional with what I'm going to lay out there and feel. That helps me walk through 
my experiences of grief. Instrumental grievers, on the other hand, have to do something with it. So here's a good example. I was working with a, with a couple who lost a child in an auto accident. Oh, no. And I was offering grief counseling for, for them. And the wife was coming in, and she was she, she was an intuitive griever. She was just laying it all out. It's very emotional getting that out. And one of the things she said in our session is, I'm so angry at my husband. He doesn't, he doesn't grieve. He, like, gets up every morning. He goes to his workshop. I don't see him till five o'clock. They both were retired. Mm-hmm. I don't see him till five, six o'clock. He comes back in the house. It's like he, he's he's just not bothering him. Um, so I said, well, why don't we get together? Let's let's talk together. So he came in for a session and she laid that out how she was feeling and he said, what What do you mean you you don't think I don't grieve? He's like, I think about our son every day. He said, I'm going out to my workshop because he worked with stone. He was literally building a headstone for their child. Oh, wow. So his grief was instrumental. Yeah. He had to he had to do something with it. Um, so I think that carries over also, though, into our mental health. Okay. There's some of us who really process verbally and emotively, and there's some of us who might need to do something alongside of feeling, uh, put, put, put an action to wow. it. Wow. Yeah. So... That makes so much sense, man. In some of the mm-hmm. deepest, darkest times of my life, I don't want to talk about it, but I'll go split wood from morning until the sun goes there down. Go. It's almost like, but I never understood that's what that was. I thought it was not You're probably an instrumental. Not labor. punishing yourself, but it's like the manual labor. It's some some mm-hmm. kind of outlet in the. That makes that's mm-hmm. wild, dude. Thank you. I did not know that those yeah. were things. I just knew a lived experience mm-hmm. was yeah. in the hurt. When the hurt gets mm-hmm. too bad, I don't need to talk about it. I need to go do something. Wow. That you probably have an instrumental pattern. Yeah, yeah. So wow. I think that's true for our mental health too. A lot of us need to do something along. Some of us need to do mm-hmm. something with it, um, yeah. physically. Mm-hmm. You know, again, for me, I, I'm an intuitive griever. That's where my head is. And, and mm-hmm. um, But for years in grief and loss work, we made people feel terrible about themselves because we were like, no, you got to talk about it. You got to cry. Mm-hmm. You got to grieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what this research from DOCA that was, was back in the 90s began to teach us was, oh, no, no, no. Uh, at the end, as long as people use the pattern that's innate to them, which one of those yeah. two, yeah, the, actually the grieving process looks healthy at the end. Wow. Yeah. And it's crazy. So I have a friend here. Your story and her story parallel a lot. You know, mm-hmm. you were in you were in vocational ministry early, and she was to um, your path led you into grief ministry, and hers did too. And um, just a lot, a lot of parallels. I, I look forward to sending her um, yeah. a link for this episode, and uh, so that she can listen through that. And I bet you she would have a lot of really really cool feedback it'd be neat if you all met yeah. each other and knew I'd each other i'd love to do that maybe we need to do one together one time yeah that'd be fun yeah. to focus just yeah. on grief yeah so so does isolation then is isolation a form of grief or or do those Ooh, I mean, that's is, a good question i mean are those how does that i guess what i'm getting at is could talking through versus some physical like when it comes to isolation and loneliness Mm-hmm. I mean, is that is that um, 
does a person have to be depressed to experience isolation and loneliness? Is it a form of grief? Is it, I mean, what are we dealing with specifically in the vein of isolation mm -hmm. and loneliness? Is it some combination? That's a, that's a great question. And I think it probably is a combination. I mean, I, I have so much work in the grief and loss field okay. that, that, that I want to say, sure, it's a form okay. of grief. <laughs> You know, it's like that's the glasses that I wear uh, um, and how I see a lot of the world. So I think it is an element of grief because usually, and there's a difference between loneliness and isolation. Okay. They, can go, they can go hand in hand. One of the most amazing things that I found out in research is that loneliness, the loneliness level of society is not necessarily determined of whether they're in a faith community or not. Some of okay. the people who attend church every week rank with some of the loneliest people in the world, in the United States. Gosh, that should not be so. It's not. It shouldn't be so. And and that's why I really push in this movement of fresh expressions, creating, and I said this a few moments ago, finding a place that's an authentic community where you can be vulnerable mm -hmm. and other people are vulnerable with you. Mm -hmm. So many times in church, we in, at least in the inherited church, we have this model where we throw up the best self and we show up into those spaces and everything's great yes brother everything's mm -hmm. fantastic yeah, yeah uh yeah. you know and we and we put we put on this mask for the yeah. hour that we're there and then we leave and nobody is really to the wiser that we're we're, we're hurting mm -hmm. uh so that's why i hypothesize that's why people in mainline churches still are some of the loneliest people mm -hmm. is, is is not because the church itself isn't good it's mm -hmm. that the community that's there isn't being authentic mm. uh yeah and I, i'd say that just from my observation and it may be just because birds of a feather flock together but i think the pendulum is beginning to swing some with our generation of leaders yeah, i think so i think that we grew up in do as i say not as i do culture mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, your parents are your parents, and there's things that you witness and live through with your folks, and it's like, I want to implement that in my own home. Mm -hmm. And then there's things, it's like, I, I would rather not do that in my own home when I have kids. Um, yeah. I think there's a generation of pastoral leaders now that grew up in the context of church where it was do as I say, not as I do, or this facade, mm -hmm. everything's good. Um, and again, maybe it is a fishbowl. Maybe it is just birds. Uh, 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 people who are like-minded flock together too much. But I would like to think that the pendulum is beginning to swing some where authenticity is a component um, in our rhythms of grace and in our cultures within our local churches, I would hope. Me too. Uh, I hope so. And, and I think you're right. Again, you, you may have hit the nail on the head. It may be because... I'm talking to people who, who are more of the way I'm thinking, but yeah. um, I'm, I am seeing that more so today than definitely I, I did you know, 20 years ago when I started. All right, one last thing before we go, just for clarity. So you say, I think I heard, you said loneliness and isolation are not the same thing. Right. Will, you, will you talk us through that a little bit? Because I want to be, yeah. I want to, that'll help me. Mm-hmm. So... They can go in hand in hand, okay. but for, for, for let's look at, let's take, for example, those people who are in mainline uh, churches mm -hmm. that still are ranking lonely. Mm -hmm. They're not isolated. Okay. They, they are connecting with people in flesh. Um, they're there. Okay. But 
they still feel loneliness. So sometimes people who are not isolated, meaning people who are gathering in places, mm -hmm. may still rank pretty high on the loneliness scale. Loneliness okay. scale. So, so that's how those two are different. You can, you can, you can be connected yet still lonely. So, is um, isolation physical and lonely is emotional? Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I haven't thought through that what you just said, but I, I think that to me feels, yes, I think you're onto it. So isolation is more physical. Physical, yeah. Lonely means is mental or emotional. Right, and Maybe. those can happen simultaneously. They, sure, they definitely sure. can happen. Um, and then there's there's a few people who would be isolated, but yet not necessarily feel lonely. Yeah, yeah, I know some people like that. <laughs> I do. I know some people like that could, could live. Yeah way out by themselves mm -hmm. and yeah. never really feel or have that loneliness yeah and Component. then to like to your point other people that can be in a crowded room and feel alone lonely. yeah wow yeah. awesome dude all right well that's uh, that is a full episode chock full of meat we'll stop from there you're one of the ones so there's only a handful of people that i want to cycle back through at some point oh, like yeah, no, sooner rather it. than later um yeah. because i feel like there's a ton that we didn't touch or didn't get to or that we could kind of flesh out mm -hmm. more but um uh, just thank you thank you for your time no, man thank you i appreciate you so much you know uh, uh the first time we met over at dayton um at some of the prayer time or something i was sharing about my dad's surgery i was leaving there flying back to georgia because pop mm -hmm. was having a big major surgery and you were so faithful in those weeks days but then weeks even after months after texting to check in on us check in on my dad and mm -hmm. let me know that you were praying and that means a lot to me man that um i, I appreciate you your heart um you're Thank one you. of the good ones dude uh, for what mm -hmm. that's worth not that i get to determine who are the good ones and the bad mm -hmm. ones but you're one of the good ones and uh so mm -hmm. i really do look forward to the these next three years together continuing to grow together uh yeah. make memories and hang out learn together um maybe to a degree commiserate uh some uh, i think we will be doing that to commiserate that, that's some. part of authenticity yes. that's part of authenticity yeah together but uh I, i'm just super thankful to yeah. for you i'm thankful to god that our paths cross so i feel the same way thanks Thank for you. your time man and uh i will is it all right if people reach out for more information send them your way I Absolutely. I, cool. I welcome conversation. I welcome trying to provide resources for people. Awesome. I mean, yeah, we're in this business to help people. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what God called us to. Sweet. All right. So I end every episode with the same question. Uh, the name of the podcast mm -hmm. is the Keep It Simple Podcast. So, Travis Smith, how do you keep things simple? I look to laugh every day. Oh, that's good. La laughter grounds me. And, and I think of being grounded as, as finding the power in simplicity. So I'm going to look for ways to laugh every day. Oh, wow. Amen, dude. That's gold. Hey, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for who you are and whose you are. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, buddy. See you. Appreciate it.